We all have dreams. Some people seem to live theirs while others seem to struggle. This is, however, merely a perception. What if you could get the answers you needed to execute on your dreams? Welcome to the Platinum Mask Podcast, a show designed to ask various young professionals just how they deal with their specific ups and downs. How does one young upstart navigate competing with name brand companies? Where do we get the best tools? How do we grow from our stress and anxiety? Most importantly, how do we properly utilize our cash flow? The Platinum Mask Podcast with your host, Grayson Mask. We wanted answers, so we're going out to get them and sharing them with you. Let's get right into today's episode. Hello to everyone listening to the Plan of Mask podcast. I am Grayson Mask. I have with me Jennifer Ellison, and she's the co-producer of the River and Blues Festival. And this is actually going to be a Fort Worth festival coming out, um, I guess right now I'm recording next weekend. But we'll make sure uh, you know to put in the links for anyone interested into uh, country or blues music to check out this event in the Fort Worth area. So I wanted to thank you again, Jennifer, for you know taking out the time today to not just kind of a, talk about the event next weekend, but just kind of what you've learned and experienced with uh, concert management and putting this type of event together. Yeah. Hi, Grayson. Thanks so much for, for having me. We are super excited about this year's festival. It takes place at Panther Island Pavilion in Fort Worth on November 12th and 13th. So we're super excited about what this year holds for us. Mm-hmm. So I guess wanted to like start off with the idea of, um, you know, just kind of getting involved. And I guess from like the very beginning was, uh, you know, has country music or blues music been something you were interested in, like growing up or like in childhood or anything? Yeah. So, um, I, I did enjoy country music growing up. I grew up on a farm in, in East Texas and have a lot of fond memories of eighties country playing in my dad's truck radio while riding around with him. I, I still love country music and I'm probably more of a traditional country music or classic country kind of girl. Um, but I, I, I truly enjoy the, the roots and the history of country music and, and I think it fits well in Texas. Um, I've been an event producer for 16 years. And when I moved to Fort Worth several years ago, I noticed that Fort Worth was an extremely music friendly city, but there wasn't many music festivals. So I felt there was an opportunity there to expand on that market. And one of my close friends, Omar Ortiz, owns 83 Entertainment, which is an AV production company. So the two of us visited and decided to form a partnership and begin producing music festivals. And River and Blues is the first to come out of that partnership. When we mm-hmm. began talking about what genres we wanted to represent, blues seemed like a unique and untapped market for the area. So um, around the same time that Omar and I had started brainstorming about blues artists I actually watched the Ken Burns documentary, uh, Country Music. In the in the first episode of the documentary, they talk about the two genres of country and blues and how they started in the same place. And they came from the streets and the back alleys and the homes of the American South in the early 1900s. And mm-hmm. as people slowly began to introduce instruments like the banjo or the harmonica or guitar, 
he started getting two different and distinct sounds. So there was like this mm. metaphorical fork in the road and down one path came what we now know as country music and down the other path came what we now know as blues. So Omar and I decided to take country and blues and honor their origins in Fort Worth, which is a city that supports both history and new beginnings. So the festival takes place at the literal fork of the Trinity River at Panther Island Pavilion, and it just seemed like the perfect fit to us. Mm-hmm. When you kind of like mention like the differences between, um, you know, country and blues, is there normally like with your guys festival, I guess outside of the festival, is there normally like a lot of collaboration between those two different subgenres, or like have a, have they always like, does someone playing in like a country band can easily switch over to like a blues band or, you know, is there a lot of collaboration there? Yeah, I'm not going to say that they could necessarily easily switch over, but you definitely see a lot of bland, uh, a lot of bands bands that have similar roots. So, um, for instance, we have a, a band coming on uh, Saturday of our festival called Robert John and the Wreck, and in their sounds, you definitely get that gritty blues sound, but they do a great job of mixing with some southern rock slash country. Uh, notes that that feels like there's a, a true crossover. So I wouldn't say that it's necessarily common, but you definitely hear influences in both genres from each other. Mm-hmm. And like at the beginning, when you touched up on the idea of kind of growing up on like older style of country music mm-hmm. or traditional country music, I was wondering if you want to expand on that. Like, is there specific artists and like, what's the I guess the difference between traditional country, like, um, you know, what's like, I guess, changed country music to you? Sure. Uh, well, and I, I think, um, I think when you ask somebody about traditional country music, you're probably going to get different answers depending mm. on when they grew up. Uh, traditional country music to me is usually songs uh, and artists from the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Now, granted, I wasn't alive in the 60s and 70s, <laughs> but um, but I definitely have an appreciation for the older styles. So uh, Dolly Parton is, is going to be the top of my list, but then you have artists like Loretta Young and Hank Williams, uh, or not Loretta Young, but Loretta Lynn and Hank Williams and uh, Jimmy Rogers. And then you have people like Merle Haggard and... Um, George Jones, who who had huge influences on country music uh, and and the generation that came after them, for sure. Mm-hmm. And is that like possibly, does that like feed into any of maybe like the criticism or resentment towards that some people have towards country music? Because I feel like uh, really in some of the inner, in the music interviews that I've done, it seems like just from like a mainstream, I guess a mainstream perspective that maybe like there's the most as like a, as a genre that there's the most criticism towards country music, I guess, compared to of like people that just don't listen to country music as compared to like rock or hip hop or other genres. Is there any like reason uh, for that? Or is that like one of the reasons? You know, I think it's, I think it's easy to single out country because oftentimes it's so unique. Although I've heard plenty of people say things like, I like all genres except rap, or I like all genres except jazz. But I think when people dislike country, most of the time it comes down to the Southern accents or the country twang, if you will. And and the fact that not everyone can relate to country songs. When country artists sing about their 
pickup trucks or being raised on a farm or living in a small town, they might alienate a certain portion of the U.S. population who can't relate to that way of life because let's say they live in New York City or Detroit or Chicago. And and obviously, I'm speaking in very general terms. I know there are country fans in New York City, just like I know there are jazz fans who live in rural America. It it truly all just comes down to personal preference, which is exactly how it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And like with the, I guess, like the what led to the event and your relationship with Omar. So was that collaboration? Was that like your first dive into the music uh, festival um, collaborations? Like, have you ever done like uh, any type of work with bands or anything on like on a smaller level compared to this festival? Yeah, Omar and I had actually done some other festivals in other cities, and we had collaborated on on many concerts together. So this was just kind of a next step. Uh, once I moved to Fort Worth, and and could easily tell that it was such a music friendly city, um, mm-hmm. we just kind of wanted to to find those missing pieces, so a niche, if you will, and we felt that blues fit that. But we kind of wanted to honor the roots of country uh, along with blues. Mm-hmm. And like with the idea of, I guess, concert planning and what goes into an event, is there any like, um, you know, intro starters that you would suggest if someone's interested in kind of like following your footsteps into that kind of realm? Is there like maybe like a first type of event that you would suggest for someone to like try out? Yeah, you know, I'm I'm a huge advocate uh, of internships. I am mm. um, I love taking on students or people who are interested in the event industry and and having them shadow us, having them work various events. Uh, my personal company, Ellison Event Productions, we cover a wide range of events. So not only do we produce concerts and festivals, we also help with uh, fundraising events and dinners and social parties and and weddings and things like that. So when we take on interns, they actually get uh, a wide array of experience in uh, a lot of different types of events. So um, I I would say to the generation now interested in events that the more experience you can get, the better off you will be. So not even just working for an event planner, but work for a production company like my friend Omar work and, and figure out the, the lighting and the sound aspects, what it takes to put on the audiovisual. Uh, work for a caterer, see the, see the behind the scenes, the more well-rounded you are, uh, the better are uh, the better opportunities you have to get hired in the future. Experience mm-hmm. is all about it and getting to know people. It's the old adage. It's, it's who, you know, is definitely alive and well in the event industry. Mm-hmm. And like, was 2019 the first year of the River and Blues Festival? Uh, 2020 was the first year. Mm. And with 2020, uh, I guess, what was like the first step going into something, I guess, as huge as, uh, you know, this festival in Fort Worth? Is it like finding the sponsors? Is it picking the specific outdoor venue or overall venue? Is it, um, you know, approaching the bands? What was kind of like the first step into something this large scale? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I mean, we definitely in our brainstorming sessions started off with number one, what do we want this overall experience to look like? 
Uh, and then we started thinking about what types of artists we wanted to represent our brand. Uh, and then the, the next step was to meet with a, an advertising PR agency who helped us create the brand, you know, take the river and blues name and, and kind of create the look that we wanted. Um, there are, there are elements of every event that are the same, like thinking about the experience you want to create for your guests, brainstorming, planning, budgeting, all the important logistical components. But what really makes a festival unique is that it's often a multi-day event. So in the case of River and Blues, it's two days, but there are a lot of festivals that take place over three and four days, which means that all of the logistical components of an average event are now spread out over multiple days. So you have to book enough artists to complete a multi-day event. In this case, we booked 13 artists for River and Blues. That's 13 bands loading on a stage. That's 13 different hospitality riders. Then you think about the guest experience and what it's like for someone to be at your event for three hours or eight hours or 16 hours. You have to hire staffing or recruit volunteers to cover multiple days. So while these are all elements of a general event, they're just compounded by a multi-day festival. And and COVID-19 definitely threw a wrench into the logistics, uh, especially being a first-year festival. Uh, COVID-19 changed everything. You know, planning a festival in 2020 when COVID was still relatively new presented all sorts of challenges, not to mention we were one of the few events pushing forward and, and making it happen. Not only one of the few in DFW or Texas, but one of the few festivals in the U.S. that actually took place in 2020. So it's not like we had a lot of examples or or peers to mimic. We had to think through things like social distancing pods and and temperature checks, mask mandates, constant sanitizing, and so on. So this year is different logistically. A lot of events in, in Texas um, have some sort of normalcy to them, but COVID-19 has definitely impacted the way we plan events in general. And I don't know if that will change anytime soon. It's a it's a different way of preparing for instances like guests purchase tickets later than they used to. COVID increased our quote unquote last minute culture. Uh, it's created labor shortages. It's increased pricing in a number of areas. So, um, mm. you know, the, the wake of COVID-19 is very real in the in the festival and event industry. Mm hmm. And like when you kind of mention on the uh, labor shortages and increases in prices, I guess, how do you adapt your strategies in a situation like that? Because I know like when I see businesses, um, really their prices increase, I'm like, yeah, that's 100% understandable because they have to make up the losses from COVID. But then at the same time, it's a catch 22, like the more their prices rise, like the less likely some, you know, customers might walk away. Then, you know, how do you, I guess, adapt a situation in kind of a uh, unorthodox kind of climate right now? Sure. Yeah. So one of our goals this year, um, which was one of the lessons we learned last year, is that um, people have a, have a funny way of letting you know if things are too expensive. One of one of the ways they let you know is definitely through social media. So we had a lot of comments last year on on pricing of the festival, which um, let's say a, a, a one day GA ticket last year was fifty five dollars and an hour head. $55 was a pretty good price for seeing six artists. Mm. Um, but you had some people who were really only interested in seeing one artist. And so $55 seemed like a lot. And 
uh, we were also coming off of a pandemic. So it wasn't necessarily uh, easy for a lot of people to have expendable cash. So what we did is we learned from that experience. We've actually lowered our prices this year, but we um, we took some time and, and really solicited a lot of sponsorships this year. And that, and that was one of our goals was to increase our sponsorships so that we could um, then compensate for the lower ticket prices to pass that along to the to the customers so that coming out of 2020 into 21, when people may have a little bit less expendable cash uh, for entertainment, that they felt good about spending their dollar, not only locally, uh, but with somebody who was able to lower prices and still give them a really good festival experience. Mm -hmm. And was, uh, I guess, overall prices, was that like the main um, criticism or thing that had to be changed from like the first festival? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think some of the other things we, you know, we learned a lot, uh, through social media. Um, that's, that's, that's kind of where we continue to, um, I guess, base our, uh, that's kind of where we take the temperature, if you will, a little bit. Um, but I would say that, that the pricing, but people also let us know, you know, what kind of experience they want to have at a festival. They want to let us know um, who they want to see. It, we gain a lot of insight into what our constituents want to see, what they want to hear, what they want to pay. Um, and I think we learn, we'll, we'll learn valuable lessons this year. Honestly, I've, I've been doing events for 16 years. And the only thing I know for sure is that I don't know it all. I gain valuable lessons every time I plan an event. Uh, and this festival is no different. Um, our first festival was during a pandemic. So I feel like we learned a lot, but some of those lessons were COVID related and some were just how people interact in general. Um, so I, I think that going into 21, we have, we have created a super energetic lineup. We have, uh, a set of spectacular food trucks and vendors. We have introduced a new, um, program called Tacos and Tunes this year, where we have a street taco competition. We have a second stage this year that has kind of a picnic atmosphere where you can get your street tacos and you can listen to um, artists like Summer Dean and Kirk House on a side stage. We've integrated uh, a lot more vendors and we have um, super fun interactive experiences like a photo bus and, and things like that. So we, we listened to some of the feedback that we got and, uh, and just have, have really tried to blow it out this year. But also, again, keeping in mind that, that the customer experience is important, um, but they don't want to pay an arm and a leg for that. Mm-hmm. And like uh, when you kind of mentioned um, a after COVID with the new artist lineup, what, what was kind of the, I guess, the conversations like with the upcoming artists that are going to be there next weekend? Um, you know, how are they feeling after, uh, you know, possibly, uh, you know, a year of no or little to no um, onstage performances? Sure. Yeah. So um, one of the coolest things about last year is that almost every single artist, when they took the stage, uh, they gave a, just kind of an overall shout out to the, to the planners and the producers and the people who came out to the festival. A lot of them, uh, that was their first time in 2020 to hit a stage. And uh, it was emotional for 
for several of them. You know, we had some tears on stage. When you don't get to do what you truly love, as so many artists uh, experienced last year, and then to have an opportunity given to you uh, in front of a crowd, I, I think that a lot of them truly appreciated that experience. So, um, as soon as the festival was over last year, we took that opportunity to book this year's artists. Uh, we knew that coming off of 2020, we would have some great opportunities to book some fantastic uh, headliners and some artists who maybe hadn't worked in a while and, and who were eager to to get on a stage. So we're really excited about this year's lineup. It's going to be an extremely energetic stage. Our Friday headliner is Larkin Poe, which if you're not familiar with them, they're a sister duo and they will rock your face off. They have a, a wild blues meets rock and roll sound that is incredible. And also on Friday, we have American Aquarium. They are a great alt country band. And uh, King Solomon Hicks, who is an up and coming blues artist that will bring kind of a, a smooth, soulful dimension to the stage. We really love bringing up and coming artists uh, to Fort Worth, especially people who are uh, from outside of the state. Um, on Saturday, we're excited to bring Robert John and the Wreck, as I mentioned him earlier. They're a Southern rock and blues band, but they're out of California. Uh, and this is the first time that they've been to Fort Worth. So we're really excited about that. We're, we're also bringing Mickey and the Motor Cars and Dirty River Boys. They're, they're kind of that gritty Texas country. And then, uh, we're also bringing Anna Popovich, who is a phenomenal blues artist. And then, um, our Saturday is headlined by Texas country great Aaron Watson. So like I said, it's, it's going to be an energetic stage. Mm -hmm. And kind of like earlier, um, you know, when you're mentioning like the uh, kind of like one of the first steps with the creation of this event with, uh, with approaching that PR company and kind of coming up with a mission statement and kind of, uh, kind of a, an ideology of, what you want this event to be. I was kind of wondering if you wanted to like expand on, you know, what you kind of the mission statement or the vision of what you expect this event to be. And like, has it changed at all? Like coming into like the second uh, annual event? Uh, you know, one of our main focuses was um, to have an event that gave back to the community. We also wanted to have an event that honored the, the musical genres that we chose to uh, feature, so country and blues. Um, Omar and I both feel strongly about planning events that have a purpose. Uh, and, and our purpose was definitely to uh, give back to the community. We've chosen the Ronald McDonald House of Fort Worth as our benefactor. Um, but we also wanted to um, you know, take this opportunity to expand, if you will, the musical palettes of, of people in Fort Worth. So there are several artists on our stage that, that most people will have heard of. But there are a lot of artists on the stage that, that are new to Texas, that aren't from our area, that aren't played on the radios in, in DFW or even Texas. And, and this is an opportunity for them to get in front of a new market and in front of a new audience. Um, and so just those two things were, were what we were most passionate about. Uh, Omar and I both have a great faith. And so we, we both felt very led to, to do a musical festival uh, here in Fort Worth and, uh, and definitely have, have trust 
that God is is definitely blessing this process and um, and definitely leading that way. But we just want to be mindful of of the overall experience and how we can give back at the same time. Mm-hmm. When you bring up like the it really a big part of the vision being. Um, you know, bringing these artists to new people and expanding people's musical palettes. Was there any like artists uh, during 2020 uh, that came out to the event that, um, you know, maybe they're not locals from Texas that, you know, did very well or, or you know, you thought it even exceeded the expectations of, you know, what you're expecting? Yeah, actually, uh, one of our all time favorites from from last year. Um was uh, a a female duo, Maddie and Tay. Uh, they were uh, an exceptional group of of female artists that um, they were ones that had not played um, many, if any, shows in 2020. And so that was uh, kind of an emotional experience for them being on stage. And, and they came from Nashville. And that was um, just kind of one of our, our our country highlights, if you will, of the night. Uh, we also had uh, a fantastic blues group called Southern Avenue. And, um, and we had listened to their music. We really liked their sound and, and how they performed. Uh, we liked what they had to say in their lyrics, but not having seen them personally live, we didn't truly know what to expect. But let me tell you, from the moment they set foot on stage, to the moment they walked off, I don't think any of them stood still. I mean, it was the most energetic group that we had last year, bar none. And I think uh, most people who walked away from last year's festival, that was the most shocking performance was, was Southern Avenue. And they created a lot of fans in, in Fort Worth, Texas. So that was, uh, that was really neat to see. And, and we're really, um, I hope, I hope that we bring them back in the future. We try not to repeat year after year, um, so like we didn't bring back any of the artists that we had last year. Um, but, uh, but in the future, I could definitely see us bringing, uh, some of those guys back. Samantha fish is always, uh, an amazing artist to, to, to watch and who performs her heart out on stage. And I, I heard a lot of people who didn't know her, uh, really loved her performance as well. So, um, you know, I think that there were standouts for different people, but I would say that those three were, were our, our top from, from last year's performances. Mm-hmm. And what like went into, I guess the decision to, um, create like a whole new lineup from scratch for, you know, this year, I feel like, you know, maybe some festivals would want to play it maybe a little more safe or, you know, some artists did very well, they might bring them to the next year. What, uh, you know, what kind of led in the decision to, you know, do a totally new lineup? Sure. So, like I said, one of our goals is to expand the musical palettes of the of the area. So to us, getting 13 new people on the stage every year is, is one of the easiest ways to accomplish that. There is an unending amount of musical talent out there. And while I know that we will eventually repeat artists, and, and I'm not going to say that we wouldn't repeat next year, but I feel like um, year after year, we are going to try to bring as many new bands uh, to the Fort Worth stage as possible, uh, just to to truly meet our goals, but to also, uh, you know, share the love. There are so many up and coming artists. There are big names. 
there is room for everyone on that stage. Uh, and we are also very dedicated to having a diverse lineup. Um, you know, when, when you look at our lineup, we want you to see uh, people of all ethnic backgrounds, all musical backgrounds. Um, we, we want people to, to see themselves on that stage. And, and we're very dedicated to that as well. So um, we think keeping it fresh and, and having a, a turnover year to year will, will help us accomplish that. Mm-hmm. And kind of with, uh, I guess, back to like the idea of the logistical components with event planning for, you know, such a large venue, was there anything, maybe like any uh, last minute pop ups or last minute challenges that went into it? Because I know there could probably be like months of planning in advance. Um, but, you know, I feel like sometimes you can't, uh, you know, months in advance, you can't expect things like bad weather forecast or, um, you know, last minute things to pop up. Was there anything like that, that kind of went into, uh, I mean, obviously 2020, but like, uh, you know, for 2020 (laughs) or this year. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, you know, I think with events, one of the things you can always expect is expect the unexpected. There's, Mm -hmm. there's going to be something that, that goes wrong. We were very fortunate last year, um, that we didn't have any major issues, uh, you know, I, I, man, I've got some stories over with events over the years, but, um, last year, our, our original festival was planned for May of 2020. And, and we pushed that date to November for obvious reasons. Um, but when we finally decided to, to do the event in November, we had about, uh, five weeks to, to put this festival together. We already had the artists from May, but everything else we had to logistically put together. So um, not only did we have to throw normal logistics in with the event, but we also had to organize, um, how, how do we do pods? How do we do social distancing pods? How do we take temperatures of every single guest coming through? How do we enforce mask mandates? How do we enforce social distancing just throughout, you know, when you're waiting in line, when you're waiting in line for the restroom or for food trucks? How do we keep the artists safe backstage? How do we sanitize not only constantly sanitizing public areas like restrooms and and the bars and things like that, but how do we sanitize the stage after each artist is done? Uh, Sanitizing microphones and instruments and things like that. Because what, what people, well, some people may not realize is that a lot of times at the festivals, you're using the same instruments over and over. You know, you have the same back line. Everybody's using the same drum kit or oftentimes they are. So how do we keep uh, a responsible and a safe, a safe festival when we're all using the same kind of thing? So those were logistically, uh, logistical issues that we were, you know, kind of thinking through uh, with five weeks to go. So I would say that that was kind of our biggest hurdle last year. Um, this year, you know, it, you go into an event and you try to think of everything. You try to go in uh, anticipating all of the issues and all of the things that can happen, trying to mitigate risk and all of that. But, you know, there's always something pops up. Um, We just hope that we have thought through things enough to where it is a small glitch and and not something major. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And with kind of, uh, when you kind of mention like the idea of, uh, you know, Elson um, events productions and kind of some of the other events that you put together, I was kind of wondering, uh, you know, is there, 
any like other main organizations you're focused on or any other type of events you run like outside of river and blues? Uh, yeah. So like I mentioned earlier, we, we do, um, a lot of different concerts, uh, so just this summer we put on, we were the producer of the rhythm and roots music series. Uh, it took place at raw brewing in Fort worth. We had uh, a sleep at the wheel and, um, drew Holcomb secret sisters. We had quite a few Americana artists out there. Again, what we're trying to do is focus on how we can, uh, expand, uh, musical palettes here in Fort Worth. And so we felt like bringing various Americana artists kind of that you don't normally get to see on a regular basis. You're not going to see them, uh, in the stockyards. You're not going to see them at Dickie's. You're not going to see them at Billy Bob's and things like that, which hear me, there is nothing wrong with going to see an artist at Billy Bob's or at Dickie's. They are, they are huge for Fort Worth and, and I adore them, but, um, you know, there are, there's room in this city for small venues, for smaller concerts. And, and so we were trying to do some of that this summer. Um, but my company also, we, we assist with uh, fundraising campaigns. We assist with nonprofits and, and with their fundraising dinners. We also help with um, different outside of Fort Worth. We help with other cities and, um, we do a lot of weddings and we do a lot of social events. And I mean, we kind of cover anything and everything for most any type of client. Uh, and, and I could sit and tell you like a, a million stories of, of the events we've done. And, um, but yeah, we're, we try to be kind of a one-stop shop and can accommodate uh, pretty much any client that comes to us with event needs. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I wanted to ask to kind of wrap up the episode, is there any, uh, you know, any projects that you're looking forward to when it comes to really just like next weekend with, uh, this event or just any, um, you know, events you have ongoing with your productions? You know, we're, we're excited to see, um, we're excited to see who comes out to the festival this year, you know, in 2020, uh, we feel like some of some of our guests were limited in how how much they wanted to interact with the general public and so we are excited to see who comes out next weekend um one of one of the things i i did want to touch on is that we uh the river and blues benefits uh the ronald mcdonald house of fort worth um when omar and i came together to create the festival And when we were brainstorming with our team, we knew we wanted to have a greater purpose. We wanted to have a positive impact on the community. And then years ago, uh, Omar's grandson, Mason, was born with a heart defect. And their family spent a considerable amount of time in Fort Worth at Cook Children's. Um, And and Ronald McDonald House was their home away from home. They saw firsthand how a place like that uh, truly changes the lives of patients and families. And and we couldn't think of a better benefactor for our festival. And now Mason is 12 years old and thriving. So a portion of our proceeds and a dollar from every ticket sold goes directly to the Ronald McDonald House of Fort Worth and uh, to help them continue their amazing work. So like many nonprofits, uh, 2020 was a hard year for them. And 21 um, has has been a difficult year coming out of the pandemic. I, I don't know of a nonprofit that hit their goals or or greatly exceeded their goals last year. And so we are trying to do our best effort in in helping them 
Uh, Omar and I have other festivals that we are looking at producing, not only in Fort Worth, but in uh, surrounding areas. We have a lot of ideas and goals set for 22, 23, 24. Um, so there's some exciting things coming coming around the bends uh, musically for not only Fort Worth, but VFW and, and the surrounding areas. So we're super excited about that. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Well, I wanted to thank you again, Jennifer, for, you know, not just taking out the time to kind of explaining like, you know, the upcoming event and kind of what went into the event, but just your experiences as well with um, outside of concerts, like with your different event planning and kind of what went into kind of the River and Blues Festival. Um, You know, I'm definitely wanting to put, put the links on the episode and, you know, let everyone know, um, you know, anyone listening, if you're interested in, you know, country or blues, um, you know, definitely check that out on the Fort Worth area, check out the website and check out, you know, some of the lineup they have coming up. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Grayson. We really appreciate it. And, uh, and come see us next weekend on, uh, November 12th and 13th, Panther Island Pavilion in Fort Worth. Definitely for sure. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Platinum Mask Podcast. Stay connected with us directly through the PlatinumMask.com. You can also join the discussion on Instagram at GrayMask12. If you would like to speak with us, please send us an email through maskgrayson at gmail.com. And as always, thank you for pushing your mindset towards a better reality. This concludes the most thought-provoking portion of your day. Don't forget to like and subscribe to stay fully up to date. Until next time, raise a glass to success, no matter how you define it.